This is Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. I'm Dr. Celine Galgich, and I'm a clinical psychologist who works extensively with OCD. And I'm Dr. Victoria Miller, but you can call me Tori. And I'm a clinical psychologist who works with young people, including those with OCD. Through our shared professional experience, we've found that effective treatment of OCD requires commitment, creativity, and the recognition that things can sometimes get a little messy. They sure can. We want to empower clinicians to be able to work with their patients in new ways to treat OCD with confidence. In both our skills episodes and our interviews to date, you would have heard several people mention mindfulness-based strategies and how they can be helpful when integrated with ERP. So in this episode, we talk about why mindfulness is important and how to teach mindfulness to clients. You'll also hear us discuss why we all need to learn to feel our feelings about the important concept of noticing thoughts versus dismissing thoughts and how to scaffold your clients through their treatment. Let's get started. Hi, Celine. Hi, Tori. Back again for another skills episode. We are. So mindfulness is the topic of today. It sure is. Well, we were thinking that on the back of our last skills episode, getting creative with exposure exercises and how to design creative exposure tasks with clients, that the next step, if you're not familiar with exposure response prevention, as you're embarking on these things, it's really important for the clients to have the skills to regulate and to manage the experience and the distress that they will inevitably feel when they start to engage in their exposure exercises. So this was the natural next step. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And huge disclaimer. I said this in a supervision session yesterday with a clinician I was supervising. These are not designed to make your clients feel better. (laughs) Yes. Say more about that. They are designed to help your clients deal with the shit show of storms that is happening in their body while they are being triggered. So many people think if I'm going to use mindfulness, I'm going to be zen, I'm going to be like cool, calm and collected. And no, that is not what it is. It's really just noticing what's going on, noticing our internal experience, noticing our external experience and being able to hold anchor while the shit show is happening without reacting. Now, can I ask a question? I mean, I kind of know the answer to this, but for the purpose of the discussion. Yeah, of course. Why not encourage clients to feel better, to get rid of the emotions, to just distract themselves and to get rid of the emotions as quick as possible? Why would we want our clients to feel their feelings? I love that question. Well, we might as well encourage them to keep doing their compulsions because that's what they're designed to do. It's just maladaptive. And what we find is when we teach what we would teach for anxiety management, the more traditional anxiety management strategies, they just become another compulsion because the OCD brain is different to what we would normally see. Things get stuck. And oddly enough, sometimes even some of these strategies can become a thing. as well. So we have to be really careful and listen when our clients are talking in terms of, is this becoming a strategy? Is the client relying on this to help eliminate emotions as opposed to coming back to its purpose? Are they using it correctly? Basically is the thing to ask. This is why ERP became 
ERP is the extension of CBT, traditional CBT, which was once used to treat OCD because clients were starting to get stuck using traditional cognitive behavior therapy strategies like positive self-talk, using logic and reasoning, and they were actually morphing into compulsions and clients were getting stuck internally doing what someone with perhaps generalized anxiety or depression might find incredibly helpful but someone with OCD, actually, it just reinforces the OCD loop and they get stuck in that. Yeah, so that experience of trying to experience a relief of emotions was actually just reinforcing the whole OCD process. Absolutely. And the other thing is too, the reason why we want our clients to feel our emotions is because we can't avoid them. Learning how to regulate your emotions is, I think, a life skill, OCD or not, in terms of things that are going to come up for us life challenges that we're going to face. It's such a useful skill to learn, irrespective of what we're dealing with, rather than being reactive. How can we notice what's happening? How can we kind of hold the fort within our own self, be reflective and observe and respond as opposed to be really reactive? I mean, I'm sure we can all think of an example when we've been so reactive and then instantly regretted what we've said or what we've done or what's occurred and we're just left feeling this intense guilt and shame, which is also not fun after feeling either intense anger or anxiety or some other emotion that's been unhelpful for us in that moment. Absolutely. And I think that it's not just people with OCD who want to avoid emotions. I think that it is part of how a lot of people experience life trying to avoid pain, whether that be physical or emotional pain. I think a lot of people believe that good mental health is not experiencing anxiety. It's not feeling sad. It's not getting angry, but that's just not true. And I think it's much more about being able to weather the storm, being able to come out the other side. And a big part of it is sort of believing that you can, having the confidence and belief that this won't last forever, that it will move on and you don't actually have to necessarily intervene, that life is stormy and sometimes you've just got to be patient while it passes, like OCD or not, engage in a lot of unhelpful maladaptive strategies for trying to move out and shift our emotions on. Totally. How many times would people be able to resonate with the idea of, reaching for that glass of wine or reaching for that extra piece of Tim Tam or putting that bed on. Compulsive exercising. Yeah, exercising. Yeah, Losing yourself in your phone. Yep, retail therapy. I mean, it's great. <laughs> Reading work emails, like I can't deal with what's happening right now so I'm going to go back to work and I'm going to just... Yes. Or I'm anxious about tomorrow so I'm going to compulsively go online. Absolutely, all Losing of it. Losing yourself in gaming. Binge watching TV till late at night. Spending time at the pub instead of coming home. Procrastination, like it's all avoidance of things we don't want to feel or know about ourselves or acknowledge. Yeah, if we're using it. Not, I mean, all of these things can be beautiful parts of self-care. Yeah, of course. It's the excess we're talking about. Yeah, the but they can also be yep. forms of escapism that is quite unhelpful. And when that's done to excess, particularly, and this is what we're talking about with compulsions, that they are behaviours done to excess that impact someone's life. Coming back to what we are talking about before, that notion of mindfulness, it's about a lot of people with OCD clients talk about the belief that their emotions will literally last forever. Believing that they can't weather this storm because it is never ending. They will feel guilty forever. They will feel distressed forever. They truly don't believe that this is going to pass. And so feeling like a really low, experiencing really low self-efficacy and really low levels of confidence and self-belief that they can actually 
tolerate until the emotions pass by. The idea, I mean, I had a a young person in session tell me that they were feeling extremely guilty about something and saying, I would rather do my compulsion because in my mind, if I don't, I will be guilty and I will be guilty forever. And if I am guilty forever, I know I can't tolerate this level of intense guilt forever and that will inevitably lead to depression and I will kill myself. I will inevitably just have to kill myself because I'll feel so guilty and the only way for me to get rid of this is to engage in my compulsion. So the stakes feel really, really high. And it's scary when the thoughts are like that. It's scary for people. And so it's like, well, why would I? Why would I want to even try? Why would I want to take that risk? Yeah. This is why mindfulness is important. It is. Yeah. Because and our role as clinicians is to help build that confidence in our clients to be like, you can do this. We're your cheerleader here. We believe that you can do this and it is scary, but we're going to take this one step at a time. And these are the things we're going to use to help you do that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about those skills then, because it's really important. And some of these skills, I think you teach as you go. Some you teach before you get started. It really depends on the skill level of your client, how much they've learned before, how motivated they are, how much they'll do between sessions. How willing they are to sit with discomfort. That's the dance. That dance can take a long time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it can. So yeah, some of these skills you would actually do direct teaching about before you embark on exposure so that they've had a chance to practice so that they're not doing them for the first time while really heightened, where especially if their prefrontal cortex becomes shut down and they actually can't access memory or they can't hear your instructions or they can't read a a prompt sheet. It's not an ideal learning environment. (laughs) No. No, not for that stuff anyway. So better that it's sort of taught beforehand. But as we keep coming back to, you've got to be careful that you don't get stuck in the teaching phase as a form of avoidance. At some point, you just have to get started and it has to be experiential learning. You can do a bit of preparation, but then you've also, you've just got to get in. You just got to get going. So we're going to share with you our favorite ones, I reckon, today. They might be different because, you know, some of the work that I do with littlies versus I don't have clients as Many of my clients aren't as old as yours, so it'll be interesting to see the different ones you and I use. Yeah, it would be. Another disclaimer. (laughs) (laughs) Make sure there's a lot of them. Terms and conditions apply in this episode. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Be mindful the tasks you choose from acceptance and commitment therapy or DBT strategies, dialectical behavior therapy strategies, whatever that might be, that they are ERP friendly. And what I mean by that is we want to make sure that the task you choose still meets the premise of, am I encouraging my client to sit in discomfort? Are we noticing and acknowledging thoughts as opposed to dismissing thoughts? So not engaging thoughts and sitting in discomfort. They're the two main things that you want to make sure in terms of criteria when you're choosing a mindfulness-based strategy. And what I mean by that is like if you're using diffusion of thought, for example, as a mindfulness-based strategy, which I like to use. So I'm thinking that I'm going to stab my mum. I'm thinking that I'm going to molest my child. So you encourage your client as soon as the intrusive thought pops into their mind How can they diffuse from that, label what the thought is by using that diffusion strategy? So 
A lot of the time clinicians can fall into the trap of saying things like, I'm thinking an OCD thought, which actually becomes dismissive because you're labeling the disorder. You're not actually labeling the content of the thought. And clients actually feel relief with that because like, oh, that's just OCD. Yeah, it's not actually me. I'm not the one with the thought. I'm not a bad person. It's just OCD. Yeah, that's right. And so the other one goes, well, there goes the OCD story again. And so if you're noticing that your client is falling into that trap of labeling the disorder and not the content of the thought, they're losing that chance of exposure. They're losing that chance of sitting with discomfort. So saying to clients, there goes the OCD story again, is very different to there goes the I'm a pedophile story again. One's going to make them feel very uncomfortable, which is the aim of treatment, as opposed to being dismissive. And initially, when you're first working with a client, sometimes you do need to do some psychoeducation around, yeah, that is a part of OCD. So this experience you're having, like, so you can kind of engage them in psychoeducation, but then that externalization strategy that would be very helpful for other disorders isn't as helpful here. And that's a tricky one. I'll just jump in there because younger clients or clients who have low intellectual functioning, for example, or struggle with abstract thinking can struggle with that concept. And it is tricky because based on the client developmental level, not all clients can grasp that distinction. And some littlies do need to have that external kind of narrative like, OCD spotting kind of thing, you know, and that's OCD. But at the beginning, because that's developmentally appropriate, I think it's okay. And it's a technique that I use. But if you work with the client long term, as their capacity for abstract reasoning grows, and their concept of self grows, and their capacity to think about their thinking develops and matures, you need to transition and teach them the new way of thinking about like, we've talked a lot about how, you know, the OCD is sort of, but actually, these are your thoughts. This is your thinking. This is your mind. Let's start changing our language. That's what I do. What about you, Celine? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's about scaffolding really where the client is at, no matter their age, in terms of how to introduce these strategies and how we can gradually work them, have them mature based on how the client is maturing through treatment, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's a nice way to put it. And building their confidence as well. And I think too, another thing that is important with that is that kind of goes hand in hand with that is when we're modifying compulsions, for example, like the end goal is to have no compulsion at all. But in the beginning, we can modify the compulsion by delaying the onset of the compulsion or mucking up the order of a compulsion or whatever else it might be. So while yes, the end goal is to have no compulsions at all in the beginning, while the client is building their tolerance and getting used to what the treatment involves and getting used to how it works and all that sort of stuff, we can play around with it. And again, kind of have that scaffold in place and slowly take it away as they get stronger. Yeah. That's a nice way to put it. Let's jump into diffusion. Let's start there. Tell us all about diffusion. So diffusion is, well, the premise of it is if we think about intrusive thoughts that come in, they're so convincing because they feel real in the body for the client that clients start to believe that they're the truth, they need to follow the order, they need to listen to it, the thoughts are wise and so on and so forth. And so acceptance and commitment therapy has a really lovely way of conceptualizing this saying that those clients would be considered fused with those thoughts or stuck with those thoughts. And you'll see that too in the way that your client talks to you. It can sometimes feel quite repetitive with what they're bringing in session. 
And so what diffusion does is to help clients gently separate from those thoughts. So to diffuse from them, basically. And there are different phrases you can use to help your client to diffuse. And what they need to do is they need to notice, first of all, the intrusive thoughts that they're having, as well as the physical sensations they may be experiencing or urges they might be experiencing. And as soon as they notice it, they then say to themselves, I'm thinking blank. So fill in the blank. It might be whatever the intrusive thought is. So for example, I'm thinking that I'm going to stab my wife while cooking dinner in the kitchen, or I'm experiencing an urge to put the knife blocks away and order takeaway tonight and not cook dinner. I'm feeling anxious. I'm feeling uncertain. I'm feeling afraid. There goes the, I want to stab my wife story again. What I need to do, this is the one I kind of add to the bottom is opposite action. So what I need to do is stay in these thoughts and feelings, try and make room for this discomfort and continue cooking dinner. It is a hard one. I think in application, you can write a script ahead of time with a client so that they have a prompt sheet that they can read, especially if it's their home task and you're not there to prompt them. You can write it on the board and do it and or you can do like the beginning of the sentences and get as a prompt and get your client to finish the sentence to sort of fill it in verbally as they go. The scaffolding here might be that, you know, you might need to say, okay, we're going to do diffusion. Okay, finish these sentences, all the while helping them to breathe and stay in their body. And eventually the more you do that, the more a client is going to be able to engage on their own without your prompting. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a wonderful way of teaching clients in the moment while you're doing exposure with them, which is what Tori described, to encourage that autonomy. So it becomes more intuitive for them to use in between sessions because it's no one thinks like that. Like, no. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a natural thought process. <laughs> we have to learn how to think like that and it takes effort. Because the alternative might be that someone engages in their compulsion or if they're trying to just get through the moment without doing their compulsion, they might white knuckle it, you know, where they might just be like, it's fine, it's fine. I'm just going to keep cooking dinner. Oh, here's the pepper. Oh, 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 put some salt in. I'll turn the music up. Uh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. You know, just kind of really like, this will pass, this will pass, you know, which is (laughs) a way to get through it. That's right. (laughs) But not as helpful because you're still instinctively giving yourself the message that these feelings are bad and wrong and you these thoughts are dangerous and you shouldn't be thinking them. These feelings shouldn't be in your body. You have to pretend they're not there and distract and avoid them until they pass. Whereas diffusion is all about, yeah, here they are. Yeah. Here are these thoughts. Yeah. This feeling's just uncomfortable. Oh, wow. This is hard. Yeah. Okay. I'm noticing I'm with it. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm going to coexist with these feelings right now. Yeah. It's a great strategy, that one. And not a distraction at all. Not at all. Yeah. Speaking of things not being a distraction, I love the tuning into body techniques. Oh, yes. Tell us that one. The first one that I think about is just coming back to the breath, mm-hmm. just focusing on breathing in and out. When teaching breathing, there are a lot of breathing strategies which involve counting and things, which is a good way to teach people how to breathe because a lot of people 
don't. And a lot of people find the experience of breathing very uncomfortable because they instinctively experience that tightening in their chest. They think this is making it worse and they want to avoid deep breathing because they don't like the constriction that they experience in their chest when they start to tune into their breathing. So coaching someone about how to breathe is really important, teaching them about just experiencing that tightness and continuing to breathe until it passes. And some people might need some structure like four by four breathing, but eventually you want people to be able to tune into their breath without having to do any kind of counting in their head because that can start to be a bit of distraction. But tuning into the body focus on the breath, the breath in, breath out. There are lots of ways to do this. People can use an app for this so that they've got like Headspace, Smiling Minds have a lot of really, there are so many apps for breathing. The Calm app. Yep. So that really help coach you through it. So particularly if they're doing it at home, otherwise you can talk them through it. And then from there, you can extend out using body scans where you ask your client, you prompt your client to tune into their body and just notice the physical sensations, noticing the physiological arousal that they're experiencing. So whether it might be a stormy stomach, like they're experiencing butterflies or nausea. Often when we have someone with uh, contamination themes and they've just touched something and they're feeling contaminated, you can see what we call Barbie hands or dead hands where they kind of try to disconnect from their body and they, they sort of their body goes really rigid, almost like their hands are plastic and doll-like or their hands are floppy and they're trying not to cross-contaminate themselves and they're trying to disconnect from the feeling in their hands. And so what you might do is through using body scan techniques is you might ask them to notice their hands, notice the sensation in their hands. You might be encouraging them to relax parts of their bodies just by letting their hands rest on their lap, notice the feeling of the fabric of their clothes against the back of their hand. Notice even the sensation, the tingling in their palms or notice the feeling of contamination. So again, we're asking them to tune into, not kind of say, there's nothing there, relax your body, everything's fine. We're saying, what are you experiencing? And let's sit with it while it passes without engaging in your compulsion. Let's notice that your hands feel dirty. And some people even talk about how they can see the contamination, like they they look at their hands. Or so, so we ask them to look at their hands and notice it. Don't look away. Look at your hands, bring your hands back into your body, move your hands, reconnect your hands, even though they feel contaminated back with your body, feel your feet on the floor, feel your body in your seat. So this is all about bringing your attention to the sensations in your body rather than running away from them. All the while sitting with this experience while it passes. Yeah. Leaning completely into it. Completely in. Yeah. So when we say sit with discomfort, because that's a bit of a catchphrase around our clinic, that's basically exactly what we mean. Because like, well, how do I do that? That's often the question. How, what do you mean sit with, or, you know, when we say lean into the discomfort, that's another way of saying sit with it. That's exactly what we mean. That's exactly how to do it. Yeah. Let yourself feel uncomfortable. What else do you like to use, Slay? Oof. No one's going to like me saying this. Acceptance. (laughs) (laughs) No one likes acceptance. Nobody likes it. What do I mean by acceptance? I mean being, I guess I mean getting out of your own way. (laughs) Because we can often get in our own way of struggling with what's going on. Understandably, it's painful. No one likes pain. It's emotional pain. As Tori mentioned before, we 
avoid it, whether it's physical pain, emotional pain, and we are set up to avoid it. Like when we feel physical pain, we go to the doctor and we get our medicine and then we take our medicine and we feel heaps better. And we're supposed to respond really quickly when we've got physical ailments because we have to act fast with when it comes to our bodies. But when it's emotional pain, it's the exact opposite. When we're dealing with emotional pain, we have to take our time with it. We have to let it pass on its own. We have to let it reach its natural end. And what I mean by let it reach its natural end is let it happen so that it does get to the end. So you can then go, ah, this isn't forever. This isn't going to be forever, even though my mind is telling me that it is going to be forever because our mind is feeling pain and it's trying to convince you to get it to do what it wants to do, which is get rid of it immediately, which is what we're primed to do. But if we just use some of these strategies of diffusion and coming into your body and noticing and allowing that storm to just wash through your body and observe all of it happening as though you were above the clouds just watching everything happening down below, then that's getting out of your own way and we reach a level of acceptance and we start dropping that struggle. I guess it's accepting this idea that in order to get better, I have to start to feel uncomfortable. You're absolutely right. And I think it is a huge struggle because a lot of people talk about how they don't want to accept the thoughts. They feel like it's an impossible idea to accept the things that go through their mind. And acceptance doesn't mean we're not saying you should agree with it or that you like them or that you want them to be there. No, acceptance is just saying, huh, it's raining today. Yeah, without judgment. Without judgment, yeah. Or, huh, these thoughts are in my head right now as opposed to really struggling with it. Yeah, what does it mean that I have this thought? So acceptance is observing without judgment and letting things happen as they are. The other technique that I use, which again, need to be done carefully, but so that it doesn't turn into a form of distraction, but I think can be used really nicely are some of the, I think these are really good for kids in particular and teens who struggle with sort of whilst feeling triggered to just sit with discomfort. Often they need some things to do, but I love the five, four, three, two, one, and sort of, you know, in the rainbow game, which is essentially the same. So just the idea of helping bring their awareness sort of out of their head, because they're so locked into what's happening, the thoughts, their battle with their mind, particularly if someone's engaging in mental compulsions, is helping get them out of their head and noticing the world around them. So coming back to that concept we talked about in our last skills episode about how OCD is the distraction, real life is not the distraction, OCD is the distraction. And so while someone's locked in their mind or locked, tuned into what their mind is telling them, that we ask them to actually broaden their focus out of their mind and just notice what's happening in the world around them. And so you do that by, I think a lot of people know this one, what are five things that I can feel? So get them to just notice their body. So again, it's that tuning into discomfort. So physical sensations, the feeling of their fabric, butterflies in the stomach, itches, temperature, things like that. Four things you can see in the world around you, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste. Ask them to do it slowly, breathing all the while, 
you might do diffusion as you're going if they're finding that they're sort of the bounce back of the thoughts and they're, you know, they're kind of going, oh, but, you know, bring your attention back to the world around you, bring your attention back here, tune into my voice, you know, just getting them to get out of their head. And I think that that's a really lovely exercise. And there's just always stimulation around you, things to notice. That's one that you can do anywhere, anytime. And it's a good one for when people are out in public or at school or at work, because you can do it quietly without anyone noticing. It's a great one for rumination as well. When rumination is a, or any other mental compulsion. And I think the nice way of making sure it doesn't turn into a thing is like you said before, encouraging the client to acknowledge what they're stuck on in their head. So going, I'm thinking about blah, what can I notice around me? What are those five, four, three, two, one things? Yeah. Rather than ruminating, the opposite action is actually noticing what else is happening around me right now. And the rainbow game is one kind of similar, which I think is quite fun and easier, I think, for clients. If they're really triggered, they can find the five, four, three, two, one tricky, or if they find tuning into their body really hard, this is a good place to start, which is the same idea. Look around you and find me five red things. Find me five orange things, yellow, on and on and on through the rainbow. Kids love it because they have to look around them. They have to start noticing all the things that are around the room. They can look out a window and it's a way to kind of get them to notice what else is happening around them apart from just what is going on in their mind in that moment. Absolutely. So I like those ones too. What a wonderful summary. There are so many other things that you could do with your clients. That's where the creativity comes in, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And absolutely. If it's meeting those two little criteria of is it ERP friendly in terms of my encouraging my client to stay in discomfort and to acknowledge their thoughts and not be dismissive, then use it. Yeah. Agreed. I agree. Yeah. All right. I think we've covered it well. I think we have. There's nothing else I want to add. Thank you guys so much for joining us for another skills episode. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. You've been listening to Breaking the Rules, a show for mental health professionals designed to help you build confidence in treating obsessive compulsive disorder. This podcast is brought to you by Melbourne Wellbeing Group, a psychology practice based in Melbourne with a special focus on treating OCD. To find out more, head to our website, melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. All one word, that's melbournewellbeinggroup.com.au. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Breaking the Rules, be sure to subscribe to or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Celine Galgetch. And I'm Tori Miller. And we'll be back next episode with more reasons to convince you to get messy. Have fun and break the rules. <laughs>